Well, good morning, Valley View. It's so good to see you guys. It's been a while since I've been here, and I'm, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Uh, you look great. I, uh, things seem like they're going really well. Seems like y'all are really enjoying having Spencer here. Can't blame you. Um, glad he's out of town so I get to come in, though. So. <laughs> Uh, so good to see you this morning. I get the privilege of preaching at this little bitty church in the middle of nowhere. You've never been there. It's called Spring Valley Church of Christ. On a good Sunday, we might have 15 people. So the auditorium I'm looking at right now, it's pretty similar to Spring Valley. And um, it's, it's a little bit outside of Searcy, uh, but let me tell you, I have been so blessed to get to preach at Spring Valley. It, is, it has been one of the greatest things I have done going to college was preaching here. And as a young preacher starting off, still in training school, I decided, you know, I, I just need to preach through something easy. You know, I need to preach through something, not take it too difficult because, you know, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, and you know, I got a lot of other schoolwork going on on top of preaching. So I decided I would pick one of the easiest books in the Bible, Revelation, and I just preached through that. So I've been preaching through Revelation at Spring Valley lately. Um, but let me tell you, we get really frightened by the book of Revelation. <gasps> oh no, the preacher's preaching on Revelation. It's gonna be, it's gonna be scary and millennial. No, no, no. Let me tell you, Revelation is not near as scary as anyone thinks, but it is far more glorious. Revelation is a wonderful book that blesses the church, uh, and in fact, in Revelation, he says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of these prophecy, this prophecy and keeps it. Uh, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and keeps it. That's what we're aiming for. Uh, and I think it will really bless the church. Go ahead and turn over with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 4 and 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, do you guys ever rank church songs as your favorite? You know, you say... Uh, that one's my absolute favorite, and so you're in youth group or something, and then someone's like, hey, we need to lead a song, and you're like, ooh, sing my song, and everybody knows that's kind of your song. Do you have a song like that? Well, that's like all the songs for me, but I, there's one that really has been on my heart lately, and that is Sing and Be Happy. Do you guys like Sing and Be Happy? Man, that is one of my all-time favorite songs. Now, at Spring Valley, with only 15 people, we don't really sing the parts, <laughs> So it's always better whenever I'm in a, a bigger crowd and I get to sing uh, some songs, then you hear the parts. You don't realize how much you miss that growing up in a Church of Christ church and hearing the parts sung and you got your alto and your tenor and your bass and, and, and hearing all the parts and how they come together. Man, uh, you, you miss it after a while. Sing and be happy. One of my favorites, sing and be happy today. It's a great song. Um, but can I be real with you for a minute? Um, can, can, I, can I level with you? Um, I love the song Sing and Be Happy, but I gotta ask, does it ever feel a little naive to sit around singing, sing and be happy today, whenever you look around at some of the stuff that's going on? I, I, I don't want to set this tone this morning in too negative of a light, but I do want to be real about the pain that people experience. Um, we're already gearing up for the holidays. I know, it's crazy. People are already making plans. So-and-so's going to be home from college, and we're going to go visit this family here, and we're going to go there. Um, you do know that this holiday season, there's going to be empty chairs, right? For a lot of people. And those chairs will never be filled again. Um, have you turned on the news lately? <laughs> have you seen some of the storms and the disasters that are going on? People are losing their lives. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on in this world, and 
Well, here we are, sing and be happy today. Um, am, I, am I being overly skeptical? Do you feel this too? Do you see the stuff that's going on out there? I mean, are, there's churches on decline here and there, and you go, oh my goodness, is the church in jeopardy? Um, sometimes we're tempted to look up and to say, where are you in the midst of this, God? I mean, here we are dealing with all of these things, and where are you? Well, um, whenever John wrote Revelation, he wrote to this group of seven churches. You remember Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches that he writes to. You probably remember Laodicea, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You probably remember them. And he writes to these seven churches, and these seven churches were going through some things that, frankly, make the stuff we're going through look like nothing. Uh, not, not to diminish people's pain, but they went through some terrible things. These people were living in the cities, and actually, these specific seven cities were known for this, where if you refused to worship the emperor, worship Caesar, then you couldn't do business in town. Shut off. No business, no selling, no making tents or anything else. You've got to worship Caesar if you're going to be doing business in this town. So think of it this way. You know, you've got to join the local chamber of commerce. Well, the local chamber of commerce is an idol's temple. And so if you don't join the idol's temple, no business for you. And, I mean, you can see why people would say, yeah, I'm not going to join the idol's temple. That's, that's not right. There's only one God, and it's God the Father, and he's made manifest through Jesus. And so they say, well, I'm not going to worship in an idol temple. And so then their businesses are shut down, kind of like not... Uh, baking a cake for people and then having your business shut down. But they, um, they're dealing with all sorts of problems. And on top of that, this is a culture where um, it would have been thought weird, especially for the young men, if they repressed any sexual feelings that they had. That would have been seen as backwards and bizarre. I mean, come on, you know, they got to express. Their kids will be kids. You know, they just, they just got to gotta get out of their system, I guess, right? I've heard that before. Um, they were living in a lot of pressure. Oh, oh, yeah, and who, who could forget? Persecution. <laughs> uh, if you worship Jesus, we're going to kill you. <laughs> we'll throw you in an arena or we'll crucify you. Uh, historically, we're told that St. Peter was crucified upside down just to make it a little bit more complicated and that Andrew was crucified sideways. And assuming those are true, I mean, that just made crucifixion all the more worse. These people are facing tremendous pain. And you can imagine, I mean, rightfully so, that they're looking up saying, where are you, God? I mean, in the midst of all this, where are you? But I've got really good news. Everybody likes good news. Do you want to hear the good news? What John sees in Revelation is going to change everything for him and for the churches to whom he's writing. Because what he's about to see is so beyond anything in this world that we could ever experience. Uh, look with me in Revelation chapter 4 at what they say. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Um, I have a question. After what? Come up here and I'll show you what must soon take place after this. After what? Because, I mean, nothing crazy has happened in Revelation yet. We don't have the big bad dragons and stars falling out of the sky and all the crazies. We haven't even gotten to that yet. So, after what? 
Okay, well, let's flip back. The only things that have happened so far is in chapter one, you get this image of Jesus exalted at the right hand of God. It's really cool. It doesn't look like the congenial Christ like you think of. He doesn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, and white sitting around walking with a lamb. He actually, like, he looks exalted. He has fiery eyes and iron feet, and he holds seven stars in his hand. I mean, it's, it's a glorious image. And then you get the equivalent of report cards to seven churches. I, I don't know how better to describe it. Chapters two and three, you get report cards to the churches. Hey, you've got this going for you. Good job. But you have this against you. And there are some churches who had good things said about them, bad things said about them. And some churches had only bad things said about them. You remember the church at Laodicea? That's probably the most famous one. You're neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. They had nothing good going for them. Their report card was a F all the way down. And so you got the report cards from the churches, and now he says, after this I will show you what must soon take place. Is it a blood moon or the millennium? No, I mean, just read the text. After this I will show you what must soon take place. After you've gotten your rebuke from the Lord, the only place you can go is to worship him. Because you know what John's about to see, don't you? John's about to go into the throne room of God. And church, there is no place we can go besides the throne room of God after we've been rebuked by our Lord. There's no better place to go. Where else would we go? But to center ourselves back on the whole reason we're being rebuked in the first place. To fall back before the throne and to center ourselves on that. And that's exactly where John is about to be taken, into the throne room of God. And it is glorious. So turn with me. Keep reading. Keep reading uh, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the, 20 thrones, on the 24 thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Okay. So some weird things are starting to happen. We, we need to do some orientation here. Um, notice John says, at once I was in the spirit. What does that mean? I mean, is he going Pentecostal in here? Or No, that's probably not. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood open in heaven. What in the world is going on? If you look back in chapter 1, whenever John starts getting all these crazy visions, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so whenever he says, at once I was in the Spirit, it's calling back to chapter 1. So you know what that means, right? Do you know what that means? Where is John, or what day is it when he's receiving these visions? It's Sunday. Do you see what's going on? John is getting a glimpse of what happens in heaven when we gather to worship on Sunday. He's getting a glimpse of what's going on in the throne room of God when we gather to worship on Sunday. And he starts to get closer to the throne, right? And what happens? thunder and lightning. I mean, can't you just feel the ground shaking as John walks towards it? And can't you just imagine him being blinded so much that he can't see anything? And then he describes the one sitting on the throne, God, he describes him as 
Well, he had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. <laughs> That's the description God, John gives of God. Well, he looked like some colorful stones. I, this is the best I can go. John is seeing something so beyond his imagination that the best way he can put it into words is to say, well, it looked like a bunch of really colorful, nice gemstones. And then like around the throne, there was like a rainbow, but like emerald. Uh, can't you just see John grasping for the right words to say about this? He is seeing something so beyond anything he's ever seen, so glorious and so beyond comprehension. This is the best he's got to describe it. I don't know that we'd have much better to describe it. And then you got the 24 thrones and the 24 elders. Man, what in the world is going on there? Okay. I have read a lot of commentators on that verse. There are a lot of weird views out there. But the best consensus I can come to is this. Now, I'm no mathematician, trust me, ask any of my teachers, but, hmm, 12 plus 12 equals 24, and 12 is a significant number in the Bible. So, do we have two pairs of 12s anywhere in the Bible, maybe? Oh, yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. That's the best I got for that. But I think that's significant because um, it shows continuity between the Old and New Testament. You know that the Old Testament isn't old in the sense that it's outdated and unnecessary and let's just get rid of it. You know it's old in the sense that it's first, right? You do know that. It's just the first covenant. It's just first and then now we have the second one. That's just the way it works. But there's continuity between it because all of those prophets... All of the teachers and preachers and characters from the Bible stories in the Old Testament, from Adam and Moses and Abraham and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets, every single one of them did not hope in vain. They found the fulfillment. They didn't hope in vain, but the covenant that came after, they were looking forward to that. And it's finally come. And here they are sitting around the throne with golden crowns. That sounds a lot like something Paul says whenever he says, run the race, fight the good fight crown of eternal glory um, they're given white garments that's also mentioned in the letters to the seven churches clean garments they're made pure and they're given a golden crown on their head and John sees this God on the throne he sees the God on the throne and uh, it's breathtaking uh, I, I kind of imagine I don't know about you. Do you ever imagine these in your head instead of just oh, I'm reading? But I actually like try to imagine what's going on because it's very, it's very, it's a lot of images. It's trying to get you to see something in your brain. And so whenever uh, I read this, I kind of picture John kind of, you know, shivering, kind of like he's in a haunted house or something. I don't know. And his knees are maybe knocking. And then there's an angel with him apparently who's helping him through the vision. And Jesus is there. And I imagine them on either side of him like, okay, come on, buddy. Oh, yeah, you got a lot more to do here. We're only in chapters four and five. Just wait till you get to the dragons. And so they're kind of helping him along there. Um, John is seeing something amazing. And I imagine it's fearful. You know that's okay, right? You know it's okay to be afraid. Um, the Bible never really sees fear as a bad motivator. It's okay to be f afraid of God in a holy way. Uh, in fact, I think as we read this, we should be at least a little afraid. If you're not, then you're not paying attention very well because this is crazy. 
to have a holy fear before this God and to place him in the center. Where, where is God's throne? Did you notice this? It's in the very center, and then these other thrones are all around it. God is in the center, and they're worshiping God, placing him at the center, and then trying to live in response to that. That's what we're trying to do here this morning, to put him in the center and then to worship him and live in response to that center. And it is amazing because it just gets better from here. If you keep reading, you start to see these grand creatures. If you look in verse uh, 7, there's these four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first one's like a lion, the second one like an ox, the third like a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. And then these four living creatures, each of them have six wings. Oh, like two wasn't enough, but they have six wings, and they're full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne. And verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their thrones, their crowns rather, before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Um, have you ever seen, tried to see a depiction of these creatures that have eyes all around them and inside of them and they have six wings and one of them looks like an ox and a, and a goat and a man and human. I mean, these creatures are breathtaking. They're crazy cool. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Stephen King could come up with a better image uh, than this to, to horrify people. These things are crazy. And what do they do? This is significant. What do they do? They praise God. God. But it's not just that they praise God. Look what it says. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They can't shut up about it. Okay, let's be real. Um, you know the song, holy, holy, holy. We know that song. We sing it. How long do you think you could keep going before you'd say, okay, I think that's enough. It's time for lunch. I'm going to guess I could maybe go, especially if it was after the sermon, I would guess three maybe? I don't know. Not long. Uh, I'd, get, I'd get tired and cranky and hungry after too long, and I bet you would too, so don't be like, oh, preacher, only three? I, I bet you wouldn't last much longer than me, because, because we can stop singing his praise. Because we can stop singing his praise, but these creatures, as mighty and as fearsome and scary as they are, you know what they can't stop doing? They can't stop it. It just keeps coming out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They can't stop it. It just comes out, pours out of them. And then you got the 24 elders, and they've got their golden crowns. I mean, some of these people probably died some gruesome deaths, and all they get to show for is a golden crown, which is a golden crown. It's pretty nice, but... But what do they do with their golden crowns? Put it in that lockbox and punch the buttons. Beep, beep, beep. Ha, ha. Glory to God. What do, they do with the th what do they do with their crown? They cast it before the throne of God. Church, when we get on the other side and we get our rewards, it will be nothing in comparison to getting to stand before the throne of God and sing his praises and to belt out as loud as we can, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Can I get an amen? There will be nothing greater. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because that's good news. We're going to get to stand before the throne. 
we're going to get to stand before the throne room of God. And just like the elders, everything we've worked for and everything we've ended up with, all your PhDs and your degrees and your 36s on the ACT, it's not going to matter at all. Nothing will matter except being before him. Um, If you keep reading, it says that uh, chapter 5 And the one seating on the throne held a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And he sees a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Um, What in the world is so significant about a scroll? What's significant about that? Um... Likely, whenever early Christians heard the word scroll, they thought scripture because they didn't really have leather-bound, red-letter, thumb-index Bibles. They had scrolls, and it was very expensive to make, and so it says it's written within and on the back. They used every bit of the paper material that they had. They would write margin to margin, and if you look at our earliest manuscripts, they have no spaces anywhere. They had other ways of indicating. It's all capital letters, no spaces, margin to margin. And this is probably the Bibles that they read out of. Because it wasn't like they just all had a copy that they carried with them like we're able to do. They had to, like, collectively as a group own a scroll. So it's the scrolls as in the Scripture, but then it's sealed with seven seals. What do seals do? They bind things, right? And it's not just, like, one seal. It's seven seals. You know what this really means? Nobody's getting in there unless they're supposed to. This thing is bound, and nobody is able to break the seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll or to look into it. And what does John do? I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Do you know the significance of what John is feeling right here? Let me put it into perspective for you. Imagine a world without Jesus. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and God says, the seed of this woman will crush the serpent's head. Never happened. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and out of you, every nation in the world is going to be blessed. Didn't happen. All the prophets, all of the priests, all of the Israelites, Every God-fearer and everyone who had ever even thought of worshiping God failed. It's sealed. No one is able to keep all of those commandments or to fulfill all those prophecies. This is the weight of what John is feeling. But, this is the good part. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from 
the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So you got this lamb... And don't ask me how a lamb is able to grab a scroll out of God's hand. I have no idea. But somehow this lamb that's alive yet slain goes and it takes the scroll from God and it is worthy to open the scroll. Do you, you know who the lamb is, right? Just so we're on the same pit. The lamb is Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse. Church, He's worthy to open the scrolls. He's fulfilled every prophecy. He has kept every commandment. And because of that, he died and his blood ransoms people, people like you and me. He ransomed us and now we are a kingdom and priests reigning and serving on this earth, looking forward for him to return. You know, do you ever feel like in church we keep telling the same old stories? All right, Jesus, he came, he lived, he died. Was buried, was resurrected, ascended, and he's coming again. Okay, heard it a few times. Let's get on to something else. Even in heaven, they can't stop telling the story. Whenever we gather to worship, we are rehearsing in the present the victory that lies ahead. You can get caught up in all the details and all the scary symbols and the dragons and whatever else in Revelation, but I think we can all read Revelation and come away with at least this general understanding of what the whole point of it is. You ready? Revelation in a nutshell, all the mystery and confusion summed up right here. Here we go. We win. We win. Whenever we gather together in worship, whenever we gather together like we're doing right now and we sing and we just took communion, do you know what we're doing? We are rehearsing in the present the victory that lies ahead and it's certain. It's for sure. It lies ahead. We've already won. And because of that, it changes everything about the way we live. This is good news. This is really good news. Church, With that, I say this. To those of you who are addicted, if you're looking at pornography or you're taking pills or whatever else it is, I have good news for you this morning. The Lamb has conquered. Let us follow Him into the new creation. For those of you who are struggling in your marriages, for those of you who are struggling in your relationships with parents or friends or people of any kind, I have good news this morning. The Lamb has conquered. Let us follow Him into the new creation. For those of you who wonder, what's the point of getting up in the morning? I have good news. The Lamb has conquered. Let us follow Him into the new creation. Church, the Lamb has conquered. Let us rehearse in the present the victory that lies ahead. And if you need help remembering the victory that is already secured for you, if you need anything at all that we can do to help you this morning, this is what this time is set apart for. You have already won. The victory is there. But if you haven't claimed that victory yet, we want you to claim that victory. Church, our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him into the new creation while we stand and while we sing.